And welcome back to another episode of Ramones Mania, a podcast by a Ramones fan for Ramones fans, usually talking about the Ramones, although in this case, that's not really the case. But still, the reason why this ventures into Ramones core territory is because my good friend Bill McCracken from the McCrackens, one of my favorite bands, uh, is here to do the interview with me. He wanted to do this. When he found out that I was doing this interview, he was like, can I do it with you? And I was like, sure, you can You can jump in on the interview because this is one of his favourite bands. And I feel that this interview is going to either divide my listenership or you're going to hear some stories that you're just going to really appreciate regardless whether you like the band's music or not. I am talking about the Goo Goo Dolls, and my guest this week is Robbie Takak from the band. He is the bass player. He is the guy that was doing lead vocals right up until, I guess, uh, they just started changing. I don't know what happened, but uh, I guess they realized that John had a better voice for radio, quote unquote. So maybe that's what happened. I don't know. I prefer both singers. I don't really care. Like, I'm not you know, gonna, whatever, but I love those punk records, and that's what this interview is about. Yes, before Iris happened, the band were playing, you know, well, you know, a bit further than that, but the band were playing punk rock tunes. Uh, you listen to those first three records, and you'll see exactly what I mean, and we delve into that. We talk about that, and i got to tell you, though, this interview is a, what I call a Ramones Mania Rewind. Why? Because I did this interview way back in February of 2016, so a long time ago, but I felt that it shouldn't go unheard or whatever, so it is time-bound to that time, so please keep that in mind if he's talking about you know, upcoming things or whatever, and you're sitting there going, oh, well, that's already out. Well, that's why. But it's a fun interview, and Robbie was awesome, like such a rad dude to talk to, and so open about this stuff, and... I was really happy with this uh, interview, and I hope you will be too. There's no Goo Goo Dolls songs in it, so don't worry. Don't stress out. You're going to have to sit through Iris. You don't have to. Like, it's just talk, 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 because the stories are so good, you know, and I love it. I love hearing these stories and, you know, the the excitement there. And Robbie's got a good sense of humor, so I think you're going to enjoy it. But anyway... I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Just grab your favorite beverage, put your feet up, whatever it is that you do, and turn it up and listen to this awesome conversation by me and Bill McCracken and Robbie from the Goo Goo Dolls talking, yeah, Goo Goo Dolls. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, uh, Robbie. It's uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. I want to know, um, basically, how did you and John meet, and what was your first impressions when you actually met him? Uh, John and I met in... uh 1985, uh, we were um, uh, both playing in bands around town, and my cousin Paul uh, was playing bass in his band called the Beaumonts. And uh, I showed up one day and kind of got to know their songs a little bit. And he had told me that he was going to college. Uh, my cousin told me he was going to college and he was leaving the band, so he wanted me to show up to the next rhearsal and uh, play. Uh, rhythm guitar so I could get to know the songs 
And uh, so I showed up for the next rehearsal, and uh, John was about two hours late for rehearsal, as he was back then. <laughs> and he came walking in, and apparently nobody had told him that I was going to be there <laughs> playing. And he walked in, and I was playing guitar with his band. And so he sort of thought I was, like, taking his place or something, I guess. And, um, yeah, and so that started our awkward 30-year relationship, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah, and you know we're you know we're still working at it. So yeah, so that's a, yeah, so, so that's how we met anyway. How soon was it where when you finally beca- you know molded yourself into becoming the Goo Goo Dolls? Well, we kept playing with each other from that point on. Pretty much, we had kind of bowed in and out of a couple of situations, and we got together with uh, another guy I was kind of playing with at the time, named named George, and started. Uh, uh, what was to become Goo Goo Dolls. Uh, that was 86, so probably about a year later. Right, okay. And was there any particular story, backstory to the name? Like, did it come from somewhere, like, I don't know, a movie? Uh, we had a, yeah, yeah, we had a worse name. And uh, <laughs> and uh, somebody uh, uh, suggested that maybe if we wanted to get it, our name printed in a newspaper, we might want to change it. So we, we uh, just quickly grabbed... Uh, uh, a magazine that was around and found the word Google Dolls and I guess you don't expect to be telling the story when you're you know <laughs> 51 years old you know <laughs> <laughs> seemed like a good decision at the time but uh, you know it's what it is and who was it that uh, that introduced you guys to the replacements because we know that that's like the band's biggest influence yeah we had we had been fans I mean in, in, in a weird sort of way, you know, they, you know, we sort of came up together. They just came up, you know, a, a little more uh, uh, established than we did early on. You know, um, you know, we were completely influenced by the types of music that influenced them. You know, and so when we heard their music, we were like, "Oh wow, okay, this is kind of where we're at." And um, uh, you know, really changed the way, you know, John, you know, myself went about, I don't know, being in a band or, or whatever, you know, there didn't seem to be like this, this, uh, you know, reason to distinguish between the records you liked when you were a kid and the punk rock you were listening to at the time. They all sort of kind of found a happy place together with a band like The Replacements. And, and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it resonated with us for sure. Yeah, and it definitely does show. Uh, like, it seems like that yourself, uh, Soul Asylum, Huskadoo, and the replacements kind of followed the same path with musically. You both started out as, you know, thrashing punk rock bands and then ended up becoming a lot more melodic as time went on, uh, which I always thought was unique that, you know, the four bands all seemed to follow the same path and, and it was it was awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're, if you're holding you know, holding true to what you want to do, you know, um, you can't help but to grow a little bit, you know, as you're learning, you know, your craft. And, you know, some people are, are great, you know, with kind of sticking in a, in a, you know, in a particular scenario that, you know, they discovered and, you know, became, you know, great at. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a comfortable zone for them, you know, but I think, for a band like ours and you know we've gotten now to you know be able to obviously you know walk past where a lot of those bands were able to you know for a little while there and you know kind of try to discover some 
I don't know, newer, newer territories for ourselves right now. And, you know, um, when people first started hearing records like, you know, Hold, Hold Me Up and, and stuff like that, you know, they they defaulted to replacements, you know. They were like, oh, yeah, this band sounds like replacements, you know. And, of course, we did. You know, we were we were making records, you know, like, like our idols, you, you know, like mm-hmm. kids do. You know, but I think at the same time, you know, um, when people listen to our records now, I don't think they listen to these records and go, ah, see, these are replacements records, you know, like, <laughs> I think, you know, we, we've grown up past that a bit. And, you know, um, you know, to, to some people's joy, you know, and, they, you know, and to some other people's disappointment, you know, but uh, I think, you know, we just kind of just try to keep growing and keep putting out something that's, you know, a, a little bit different and just a little bit, you know, progressed in some way, you know, from the last set of songs we put together. Yeah. And especially like going back to your first record, your self-titled album, when you guys went in and did that, like it's it's a punk rock classic. It's got tinges of metal, not really like it's not a really a metal record at all. But although you ended up being signed to Metal Blade, which I always found yeah. really interesting. Um, how did that all come about, like the, the signing to, to Metal Blade and stuff? Well, I was I grew up like a like a heavy metal kid, you know. And when I say heavy metal, I mean you know Black Sabbath, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, John, you know, grew up you know a little bit more sort of you know on the sort of newer music end of the spectrum. And and so when we when our lives kind of crashed together, you know that that was the resulting record. You know, after a few hundred bottles of beer and, and <laughs> uh, uh, you know some. Uh, midnight to six studio time that we could afford you know that was that's what popped out but you know in 1986 that was that was an interesting kind of time because you know college radio you know was was still very very separate from you know commercial radio you know the the whole you know infusion of nirvana into into the world hadn't happened yet yeah so you know it was very separate so like our goal was you know, had really not much to do with that, you know, back then, and, you know, we were, we were just sort of moving forward, try, just trying to have fun and, 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 uh, you know, I, you know, I'd get a couple hundred people in a room, you know, to have a punk rock show. And, and, uh, you know, but I do think that, you know, people who grew up through that era and then were sort of interjected into, in, into the more, uh, you know, uh, meteoric possibilities, you know, that, that popped up in the nineties, like, you know, bands who had spent 10 years figuring it out, you know, had a much, much better chance of making it to the grinder, you know, than, uh, the bands, you know, that hadn't spent the time in the band because, you know, obviously they were thinking to themselves that this is what life was really all about. And, you know, it was for that moment, but that's not what life's all about. <laughs> Not, True. not when you're in a rock. Yeah, not when you're in a rock band. For sure. <laughs> you know, we're moving on. Uh, you know, the hold me up, come out, and I still see it today. Hold me up ends up on people's lists of some of the, you know, one of the greatest power pop, you know, guitar records uh, from yeah. from that era. I mean, that's a that's a long time ago, and it's still to this day it's holding up, so to speak, uh, as as a you know as a game changer, I guess, to a degree. Like, do you look yeah. back on that, though, that album with, uh, with, is that one of the early albums that you look on with great fondness? Well, I do know, you know, we knew something was kind of happening then, you know, I mean, just musically, you know, John obviously started singing a lot more on hold me up and, you know, we, we, we started to kind of feel out, uh, I don't know, feel out our, 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 
our ability to derive power from something other than screaming and playing as fast as we possibly could, you know, that was our, that was our go-to early on, you know, um, Armand Petrie, uh, who we still, you know, are friends with to this day was the producer, um, that record. And he kind of came in and, and just really kind of challenged us to be a little bit more musical than, than we were maybe, uh, you know, then our confidence, you know, was able to let us do at the time. And he came in and, uh, you know, really helped us out a lot, you know, to, to try to be better songwriters and, you know, try to be, uh, you know, just make performances that mattered. Yeah. It's very, it's this, the harmonies really shine through on Hold Me Up, I think. I think that that's when, really when the harmonies really came into effect in, in the Goo Goo Dolls. Uh, I mean, you know, because you're on Jed, you had a lot of, you know, thrash and punk songs on there. Like, obviously, Love Dolls is one that I, I still think is a classic. In fact, we've played it on this show God knows how many times because it's so good. But then you hear Hold Me Up and just songs, like, even the title track, what the harmonies in that are just huge. Um, yeah, something, yeah, like I said, something happened with that record where we decided, that, <laughs> I think in a way, we decided to start listening to people a little bit, you know, and stop being just that, you know, band of three, you know, absolutely cocksure teenagers you know that were just you know we were <laughs> i don't know i don't even know what we were trying to do but we were very sure of it <laughs> at that time <laughs> you know and um you know i think once we kind of got people in the room with us and and uh uh you know started listening to some people you know who had some some intelligence and and, and some experience in places that we didn't you know um it was it was good, and we were in a good situation for that. I, I had worked at a I was an intern at a recording studio back at that time, and we were surrounded by people who were who were who were if if nothing amused by what we were doing, and and uh, you know that was you know letting us have you know resources and and uh, people around us, you know like Armand and Mike Sack and like all these guys who were involved in early records. You know, who were able to, you know, elevate us to, you know, another level so we could see where we were and, you know, hopefully elevate ourselves again. Yeah. From there, you guys went on to uh, Superstar Car Wash in 93, which right. is Bill's favorite record. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, that, is, that album is a master class in power pop for sure. That's, <laughs> I'd say that's a perfect album. Not a bad song on there. Yeah, I, I've listened to that record hundreds, maybe thousands of times. <laughs> so I tell me a bit about that. it. You, get, you guys recorded that a little bit at Metalworks in Toronto as well, correct? Yeah, yeah. We started it at Trackmaster where we did uh, uh, you know, all our earlier records. That's the studio here in Buffalo, which I still still run to this day, quite honestly in a much different capacity than I did back then. <laughs> but um, uh, we brought in, uh, Armand started, the, Armand Petrie started that record with us. And uh, we had, yeah, signed to Metal Blade and, and Metal Blade had had a relationship with Warners and which had kind of started to develop through Hold Me Up. And they suggested that we uh, work with this producer named Gavin McKillop. And we had already kind of started the process with Armand, but Armand was was understanding about kind of what it was, and a lot of the songs were, you know, very in order actually going into the studio for that record, you know. That, um, but uh, I think working with uh, Gavin and 
going to a different studio you know we're working in you know in, you know russian triumph studio for god's sake you know we we're like yeah. oh my god <laughs> you know crazy right you know um you know it was exciting for us and you know we went up and you know we're living in hotels and you know making a record up there and then we came back to buffalo and worked on the record for a while and went out to los angeles and mixed it out at a place called master control in burbank and that was really our it was right after the riots i remember it was crazy and and uh i remember being there and saying to myself you know you, you know wow man this you know, you know this is uh you know this is really i don't know it's really starting to grow you know we're sitting in warner brothers you know having lunch with people back when record companies took people out to lunch still and <laughs> yeah and uh I don't know. Was, you know, I mean, it, you definitely felt like you know something was kind of was kind of about to happen, and that record came out and uh, fallen down. And we are the normal. We're basically the singles from that record, and uh, you know they did okay. We are the normal, which was written, you know, with with uh, yeah. uh, uh, Paul Westerberg helped us uh, with that via via mail. We had toured with them on the Hold Me Up tour uh, with the replacements. We did. Oh, cool. Yeah, and maybe 14, 15 dates with them. Um, that must have been a riot. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty wild for us, man. You know, like just to see and, and sort of be, you know, part of, you know, that whole thing. You know, yeah, we've had a, yeah, 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 we've had a great, some great opportunities to be involved with some other bands like that along the way. But, but, uh, you know, uh, We're the Normal came out and did okay. You know, it didn't do great because, but they, referred to at the time as the turntable hit which basically meant that that uh it got put on a lot of ra radio station turntables but nobody bought it and so you know but we had had our first tour of us and you know we're getting really good at getting ourselves in debt on warner <laughs> brothers uh dime and you know that kind of thing and but once again you know really learned a lot about making records you know from 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 gavin and and uh rob cavallo uh kind of started entering our lives at that point a little bit and um yeah man i mean it's it's uh it was a yeah that was a great point for us man you know i think you know we were we were <laughs> we were going in and people were knowing we were the normal by us you know that's pretty much right. all they knew so we would get put on these like radio shows you know, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, late 98, you know, like, you know, like, uh, you know, like, um, you know, the kind of stages they play at the office, you know, like, uh. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, they would know we're in the normal and, and we come in and just, I just remember just walking out on the stage, just people being like, what is going <laughs> on? You know, and just, the, just the three of us playing as loud as we possibly could, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, I mean, there were some growing pains, you know, through that time for sure. But, you know, I mean, it, it, it definitely set, up, set us up really well for, you know, what was to come. Now, is that is that a special album for you? Do you, is that one of your favorites? Yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. know. You know, it's, you know, it's like, it, you know, it's like prioritizing your children. You know, <laughs> you, you know, you don't want to do that really. But, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, there were some great moments on that record, you know, um, uh, you know, but like I said, it, you know, it really led us down the path to kind of, you know, a different type of record making. And I mean, I love that record for sure, you know, but I, I think like, I think I look at Boyd and Goo and, you know, the records that follow that is sort of a different era right. of the band, you know, um, I think everything leading up to then 
sort of felt like the same era, <laughs> if you will. And uh, but you know, there was definitely like a major gear shift when that when when that record was finished. Did you guys have higher hopes for it? Did you think it would do better than it did? Um. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, it wasn't all that common that bands were getting huge back then. You know, I mean, it happened occasionally, but, you know, you were starting to see it happen. You know, um, you know, I can remember playing shows with, you know, Poster Children and Belly and like all these bands, you know, that, you know, they, I don't know, everybody thought everybody was going to get huge, you know, like, I know. <laughs> when I look back, when I look back, they none of those bands <laughs> were really all that huge, I guess, you know, like, but, you know, you think about it and I was like, oh, oh my God. Uncle Tupelo, they're fucking huge, you know, like, you know, like bands like that, you know, like, you know, or whoever, you know, like, you'd, you know, you'd hear these, you know, you'd hear about these, uh, you know, you'd hear these names all the time, but, you know, I think, you know, um, yeah, it, there was, there was a lot of, there were a lot of bands that kind of came in and out, but, uh, you know, I do think that, uh, like I said, you know, things changed, uh, just enough for us, you know, to be able to kind of keep our heads together and, and, uh, be ready for, you know, whatever was going to come next. With uh, We Are The Normal, uh, whose idea was it to approach Paul Westerberg? Like, did he, like, were you, is it just because you were big fans, you just thought, we got to do a song with Paul? Is that how it came up? Well, we had talked to him. Well, like I said, we had toured with him. So, you know, we had exchanged, you know, information and stuff with them yeah. all. And, 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 and he and John had kept in touch a little bit. And we sent him two songs. One was uh, the, a song called So Far Away. And he had written some different lyrics for that song called Dancing in Your Blood, which is actually on YouTube, I've heard. Uh, I, I haven't listened, looked for it in a long time. But I assume it's probably still up there with uh, Westerberg, uh, with Westerberg's lyrics. And, and it was a demo that we did. Uh, we ended up using ours for that. And uh, We Are The Normal was, uh, one of, was the second song that he had written lyrics for. And... Uh, uh, I can't really remember what that song was called before, but um, yeah. So uh, there are versions of those songs with the other lyrics as well. But yeah, but he had sent them to us, you know, on his four track with him just singing over the top of them. And uh, I kind of wish I had those tapes actually. Wow, that's it's, you know what's so bizarre about that is that um, there were a few people that I know who are diehard replacements fans, but they had never heard "We Are the Normal" before, and so yeah. I played the song to them, and the first thing they said is, "You can hear the replacements all over that song." Yeah, 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 for sure. And it's funny because the music was completely done already. Yeah, you know, like you know, the music was done uh, with with. Uh, I shouldn't say it was done. It wasn't recorded, but the music, but the demo was finished. Pretty, pretty similar to that, uh, with um, you know, with uh, different lyrics. We just sent him two songs with no lyrics, and he sent them back with with lyrics. That was sort of the extent of the collaboration on it. But um, you know, it's funny. Once again, who'd think? You know, twenty years later, you'd be sitting here talking about it, right? Yeah, I still think it's one of uh, one of your finest moments. I love that song. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's a awesome. classic. Yeah, that was the last record that uh, uh, there was like Peace and Gugudal Land in that era. Like once that kind of record happened, like we went into the Boyne and Goo thing, and 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 you know there was there was already kind of craziness, you know, kind of developing within the band at that point. You know, with with uh, George, which that ended up he didn't even make the tour for the next record. Quite honestly. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Well, the the next record is an interesting record because that's when uh, you know things really started to happen for the band. Like um, we're talking, like you know, your singles were getting radio play. Uh, you know, for example, "Name" was a song that I believe got a fair bit of radio yeah. play. Um, most importantly, though, with a boy named Goo, and this is something that I, I've been dying to ask you about: is how did you discover the Lime Spiders? Ah, that was one of our like. That was one of the 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 bands when we went in to do our first demo. That was one of the bands <laughs> that was on the tape that we played for the engineer and said, we want to sound like these bands. <laughs> wow. And Yeah, and uh, we had that uh, – I think the record was called Beyond the Fringe. Was that the name of the album? The, I, it's, it's escaping me now, but I remember there was a song called Beyond the Fringe, and uh, that, was, that, was, that song was, was just like, like amazing. And and uh, so we that was one of the songs we brought in for them to hear, and uh, yeah, and you know, funny our, our first tour of Australia, uh, we we were we were doing a uh, club show in, in a place that I can't even remember, and uh, Mick Blood actually showed up to the show, and and, and it was like, yeah, man, I, I got this check one day, you know, <laughs> I, was, I was like. <laughs> did it help he's like yes thank you so much and he gave me a pile of uh lime spiders seven inches and, and uh yeah yeah i mean it was really cool to meet him you know i had no idea he was coming to the show or anything he just he just sort of walked up after and he's like dude dude i'm mcblood i was like oh wow <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> listen to you I've, I've been listening to you my whole life you know <laughs> <It's funny>. <laughs> <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> It's such an interesting uh, song. I mean, obviously, Slave Girl's a killer tune. Like, here in Australia, um, people in the, the rock scenes and stuff like that, they still hail Slave Girl as one of the greatest tunes. Uh, you know, it's up there with a... There's, you know, because the Lion Spiders are one, were like a group of like alternative rock bands that not... They weren't huge, but the people that loved them really loved them. Like, they became a cult, a cult band amongst yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, Celibate Rifles was mm-hmm. kind of in that same era. Um, the Hard Ons, Hard Ons, yeah, 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 yeah. Like you know, like there was a there was a great crop crop of Australian bands at that point, for sure. Yeah, and it's just like when I heard Slave Girl, like that you guys had done it, I was just like, holy shit! Like, like I mean, I know people that just have no idea who this song is, and now you guys have done it and given it a whole new audience. And I'm hoping that people went out of their way to discover, you know, the Lime Spiders after hearing, you know, your version of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny, you know. I mean, you know, it's funny how many kids think, you know, who just don't know. You know, the, the record's been in their house their whole life, probably, and and you know, and they're like, you know, they think for sure that's our song, but <laughs> but many of these kids think "Give Me Shelter" is our song too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> It's like, I guess you can't fault them. Time passes, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's it is cool though to, to hear that. And also, was there um, like, did you have a big connection besides that that song? Uh, did you have a big connection with um, with Australian music before you had heard the Lime Spiders, or was it? No, not really. I mean, that was just sort of you know when I, when you know when we first started playing together, which you know would have been like I said, eighty five, eighty six. Um, you know that that was one of the that was just one of the records that was in our our uh, circulation. I'm not even I'm not even sure how it got into our world. You know, uh, maybe someone just showed up with it. But I know all three of those bands. You, you, you know, um, 
you know, we listen to often, you know, and, but, you know, it's funny, those scenes back then, you know, they were, they were small and they were scattered, but they were small enough to where you could kind of keep track of a lot of what was going on back then. Yeah. Now it's just crazy, man. You know, there's so much information out there now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so with, um, you know, Boy Named Goo was like seen as the last record that from the Metal Blade years. Uh, do you guys have access to um, your older albums like Superstar Car Wash, um, Hold Me Up, Jed, and the self-titled? Like, do as you own, far as you like, would you be out because you've released, you reissued uh, Boy Named Goo and Dizzy Up the Girl on vinyl, and we're just wondering, yeah, a vinyl yeah. release. Yeah, there's actually we're we're talking about maybe I, I don't know this is super preliminary, but we were talking about doing some sort of sort of box set situation of of, of the full catalog on vinyl nice. on the road. Yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah, in some kind of uh, I don't know some, <laughs> some kind of collector's uh, edition type situation, you know. So, but uh, but uh, we gotta we're in the middle of trying to get a record out right now, so I'm so I'm sure that's down the road a bit. Yeah. Because I was just thinking, you know how the replacements just released a Twin Tone Years box set. Maybe there was oh, be one cool. of the uh, Metal Blade Years box set of the Google Doll stuff would be. You know. <laughs> I don't know if you know anything about our history uh, with Metal Blade, but we'd probably keep the Metal Blade off the record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you guys don't own the the masters of that stuff? Oh no 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 no! We got everything. Ah, oh, cool, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, uh, following on from that. Your life changed completely with Dizzy yeah. Up the Girl. Uh, that must have been the most incredible experience, but also the most bizarre experience that what really got you guys over the line was a ballad in a Meg Ryan movie. Yeah, well, you know, uh, it was sort of the same with the two records prior, too. Like, We're the Normal was the song that kind of got, you know, noticed. Uh, Name was the song that got noticed, you know, off of Boy Named Goo. And, which is interesting because we did Boy Named Goo with Lou Giordano, who, you know, was, you know, he did Sugar and, you know, like all these kind of like hard rock bands. And, and once again, the ballad sort of rose to the top. And so we weren't shocked when Iris was, was, you know, up. Let me kind of explain how we found out Iris was big, actually. It was, it was, we, we were working on the Dizzy Up the Girl record. Iris had just come out on a soundtrack with uh, for a City of Angels with like man I can't even remember Peter Gabriel and Alanis Morissette and U two and uh, Sarah McLaughlin and, uh, and and like I'm missing like four big ones like like huge album man and uh, we got on somehow and with uh, Iris and you know we didn't really expect that song to be you know the standout you know you know a standout track at all on uh, on a record with a list like that but we started to see that it was getting played our song and Alanis Morissette's song were kind of the ones that were kind of getting played uh Uninvited I think was the song for her on that record so we were sort of hearing these two songs a lot and I remember we were at Grandmaster Studios on uh on uh Vineland in California and and uh I remember the, there was a hockey game on, the Stanley Cup hockey game, and um, the uh, game was finished, and, and of course, everybody, you know, whoever won, won, and I can't remember who was playing, and everybody came into the lounge, and they're skating around with the Stanley Cup above their head while Iris is playing in the background, <laughs> and, like, you know, hockey's really big in the States, man, and, and uh, Canada, and... 
I remember standing there watching it going, whoa, this is like a jump, man. Like something just happened here. You know, like yeah. we're like, like this is like, this has nothing to do with us, man. This is like, and you know, when a song like that gets big like that, it's like, it's bigger than the band. It's bigger, it's bigger than the song. It's like something, something happens, man. And like, it becomes kind of omnipresent and, if you're not careful it's something that 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 you end up chasing forever <laughs> i don't think i don't think you could force those types of situations you know for us we got lucky and it happened you know a couple of times but like um yeah you know i mean you really felt things change when that happened you know we on the prior record uh rob cavallo had produced a couple of, of songs uh the uh lime spiders track of course and uh a song by a Buffalo band called the enemies that were on that record. Yeah. And we had done another like four or five songs in that recording session as well. And, uh, Jerry Finn, whose name you might recognize, uh, Jerry was a engineer producer and he was sort of Rob's partner doing those songs with us. So as we got to work with Rob a little bit more and Rob was working at Warner brothers as well, we started to develop, to develop the relationship with him, you know, the, the creative relationship with him, you know, that led us to go in and, you know, uh, work on Dizzy Up the Girl with him. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, that was a, like for real record making process, man, <laughs> no joke. Um, you know, uh, great studios, great engineers, great players. You know, we brought in, you know, the best people we could find, you know, to do the things we couldn't, you know, and really ended up kind of, you know, making a, you know, much more mature and, 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 uh, I don't know, you know, like I was saying, you know, just taking that next step, you know, and do, doing something a little different. I can remember John and I sitting on the floor in front of the console and looking at this 22 piece orchestra or something that was playing in the, in the room at the time when we were recording IRS and just thinking like, like, holy shit, what's happening here? You know, like, this is like a, when did, wow, you know, like when did this happen? You know, like, <laughs> you know, even more so the song getting big. I can remember the two of us just sitting there looking at each other going, Oh my God. It's like, how did this get from, you know, our back bedroom, you know, and, and, in our apartment in 1986 to this, you know, like, like, I don't know, just, 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 you know, it was just crazy to us. But like I said, I think, you know, by gaining confidence in guys like Rob and stuff, you know, we were able to sort of let go a little bit more and, and uh, you know, move forward and, and uh, you know, and uh, grow up a little bit. I have to ask as well, because like, you know, songs like, you know, Broadway and Black Balloon and stuff like that have become staples of Goo Goo Dolls shows. Uh, do, you, do you ever get the, like yourself, you know, being that you were the main vocalist for all the punk records, uh, do you ever just get the hankering where you just want to smash out a couple of those songs? You know, when you when you get up and play just for old times' sake. Well, for me, it's good because uh, that's sort of my job. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, like in this band, hey, remember this? Ah, you know, like that's kind of my job. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know. So, I mean, you know, I'm doing songs from Superstar Car Wash all the time live. You know, I'm doing songs from. You know, hold me up and you know all the all the early records um not the early early records so much anymore but you know like you know you know pretty pretty heavy power pop kind of stuff you know like so yeah so i still get to do that stuff and and uh you know try to keep some of it you know in, in my uh in my thoughts as i move forward as well 
Yeah. Do you, is there a, like a like? Because I'm I'm guessing you guys have probably recorded tons of songs that have never seen the light of day as well, which usually happens when people record records. It would there, do you think there'll ever be a uh, like a maybe a collection of like demos, outtakes, all those sorts of things, just you know, all together in one kind of collection? Uh, nah, I we pretty much have released nearly everything we've ever recorded. Quite honestly, we we have maybe a few things i mean we have demos and such but you know i mean those are demos because they're demos i think you know and yeah uh you know you, you know they're not done and you know you're you're you know their ideas in process which i guess for some people is interesting you know and maybe maybe you know we'll try to round that stuff up someday but you know we've done a lot of b-sides we we released a couple of things called uh one is called uh Ego Opinion Art and Commerce we released and it had kind of some unique stuff on it. Uh, there was another one uh, that was a collection. It was like uh, The Greatest Hits 1 and Greatest Hits 2, which mm-hmm. The Greatest Hits 1 was sort of all the all the obvious songs that you'd uh, imagine. And then uh, The Greatest Hits 2 was uh, kind of our favorite some of our favorite moments and some b-sides and some acoustic versions and stuff like that so i mean you know there's some stuff like that out there but you know uh in general you know if something gets to the point where it's been recorded and we're sitting with uh a producer working on it you know it's been pretty vetted up to that point so there's not a whole bunch of b-sides and stuff i remember when mike first joined the band you know because you know our band had been together 10 years before mike even even played with us and he was a big fan and i remember he came in and said hey come on man let me hear all the uh unreleased stuff and we were laughing <laughs> like dude <laughs> sorry sorry there is none man <laughs> what, you, what you see is what you get that's it <laughs> nice <laughs> in a kind of way do you ever just think to john thank fuck you wrote iris because <laughs> we now have a job for the rest of you know for the rest of our days <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, I guess it's so hard to step out of things and sort of look at the whole thing. Um, I guess that's how you keep your sanity as you're moving forward when things are, you know, bustling, you know, as you sort of just look ahead and deal with the next thing that kind of comes. And and, uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, Yes, I mean, I do think that for sure, you know, but we're so busy, like, worrying about, like, what the hell we're going to do this summer. We just booked 66 dates this summer, you know, it's like, um, you know, we got a new record that we got to go perform, we got to get rehearsals together, our drummer lives in Portland now, like, I could go on with this list of craziness, you know, uh, we would we keep going between 12 and 11 songs which change which changes the artwork for the record you know uh you know like like i mean i could just go on with this crazy list of things you know that we deal with all day um which stops you from thinking about all that other stuff i know that that's probably not a great thing to say because obviously you want to be able to like sit back every once in a while and go ah this has been great but like i think as long as you're busy, then it's still great and everything's good. So, <laughs> so, so let's move forward. <laughs> you do have a new album coming out. Is there anything? That, I mean, I know the details are pretty. You know, obviously, the it's still a, a bit away yet when it comes out. Like, is there anything you can let us know about the uh, about the new record? Uh, this record uh, we did uh, between Los Angeles and uh, New York. We were working with Greg Wattenberg and. A, and a, and a dude named Derek Furman 
in uh, New York. Greg did a little bit on Magnetic. He did produced a few songs on Magnetic, and uh, and a guy named Drew Pearson, who uh, we met this year. He lives in uh, Los Angeles, and uh, so we did probably half the record in New York, half the record in L.A. And uh, yeah, man, you know, it's we've been working on it hard. Yeah, can't wait to get it out, play for some folks. Yeah, did, did I read? Didn't I read somewhere you guys recorded at Bear Creek Studios in Washington, or is that is that false? We did some stuff at Bear Creek, actually. We we uh, oh. we worked, yeah, uh, with a Ryan Hadlock, who's an awesome dude, uh, uh, and uh, his team up there. But actually, that stuff that we recorded up there probably didn't make it on. Ah, what about if you could tell me? Well, if besides, we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I well, I'm wondering like... if if you can tell me if there's yeah. any truth to to this story, Robbie. Is that I interviewed Lexi Fox from Steel Panther. And one of the questions that I brought up with him was, have any of the bands that were mentioned in Death to All But Metal approached the band, you know, with yeah. unhappy with the lyrics? He told me that, I, I don't know if it was you or John or both of you, turned up to a Steel Panther show and uh, and jammed with the band on that song. You know what? It's an awesome story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I don't think it was myself or John. Uh, but I do think that Mike, uh, at one point had had some communication with them. Actually, we thought it was awesome. Actually, yeah. Uh, personally, we thought it was great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like, uh, you know, man. Once again, anytime you you end up being lampooned, it's because you've made an impression on somebody. You know, and and like, you know, like so. For us, you know, it's like over the years, you know, it's, you know, it's like the uh, John Resnick's hair uh, Twitter account, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, you know, it's just hilarious, man. And I love it. You know, it's like, you know, because, you know, because, you know, people are still thinking about you. And I guess yeah. that's the idea. He yeah. said uh, his co- his comment was, he says, he goes, I don't I don't understand what the all that Irish stuff or whatever they were singing about. But those guys get it. They know that we're just here to save heavy metal. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. Those dudes are awesome, man. You know, I can guarantee you within the next seven days, I will be listening to a Dio album. So, so I feel for the man. <laughs> awesome. So you're still a metalhead at heart. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely, my friend. That's... And I and I and and I prefer the Dio Black Sabbath myself. I'm one of those guys. You know what? I'm gonna fucking <laughs> high five you there because I'm the fucking same. <laughs> Mob rules. You got it, man. <laughs> yeah, Heaven and Hell are my rules, man. They're my two favorite Sabbath albums. So, awesome. Well, I want to say, you know, thank you so much for having a chat to us today, uh, Robbie. I really appreciate you giving us the time. I know your your schedule is hectic and you're busy all the time. Uh, yeah, nope. Uh, We're hoping to get ourselves to, uh, to Australia to see you guys, man. It's been – I don't think we've been there for – probably been a decade i bet you since we've been so the last um, time i think you were here was uh, uh big machine when that when that came out yeah so a long time man yeah long time so uh so uh uh we can't wait to get back again you know and uh hopefully uh this record will do it for us hopefully so and uh i would just want to say you know thanks um for, so much for, for you know ha- coming on the show and whatever i know I know sometimes it's it's hard to get people, but like when somebody asked me how we were able to get you to come on the show, I just said I asked, and I uh, think that yeah, seems man. to be the best way. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, 
you know, um, I, I appreciate it, man. I like talking about those early things, man. It's fun. Yeah. Is there anything you wanted to finish up with, Bill? Um, uh, yeah, Robbie, I just got to ask uh, about the bare feet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just clumsy, man. Anything I can do to maybe, <laughs> maybe not trip over my own feet. Anything I can do to help. And uh, unfortunately, after thirty, uh, after thirty years, it's become superstition at this point. So. Uh, yeah, <laughs> one other, one other thing. You remember the town pump in Vancouver? I sure do, man. We played there with yeah. SNFU. The the first time I saw you guys there was uh, for the Boy Named Goo tour before it broke big, and there's maybe like 150 people there, but that was an awesome show. Yeah, yeah, that was with uh, Chai Pig, wasn't it? From yeah, the, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't SNFU. It was actually his solo band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. man, I remember that. Anyway, I remember, well, awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. Excellent. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, we played with a lot of great Canadian bands back then, like uh, Daglo Abortions and and uh boys and stuff like that. boys yeah man yeah yeah that was that was a great scene too man yeah oh man scene. i i i love talking uh punk rock history and you know hearing about all what you know bands that, especially when i hear of bands that like like yourselves who have a fondness for australian bands that blows my mind because you know like we have a hard enough time here just finding people who in australia that like those bands let alone somebody uh, who's on the other side of the world and is playing Slave Girl, you know, to thousands of people when the Lime Spiders will, you know, can't feel, you know, couldn't, yeah. could never do that. You know what I mean? Like they could never play yeah. a, a venue that size, like the size of you guys play. So, yeah, yeah, it's funny. I, I, I have a little record label in in the states here called Good Caramel Records, and we do we we do like uh, 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 a Japanese uh, girl fronted punk rock bands basically and um it, it like like people think because we're releasing these records over here that like people that you, like that these bands are playing to tons and tons of people over in japan but like you're saying it's like it's such a cult thing over in japan to begin with you know that that you know it's it's uh it, it's just amazing to me to be able to bring such like a microcosm of music you know to a different country and to a different culture and and you know that's exciting so you know it's, it's one big world man it is it is and i love japanese bands i love japanese i mean super snaz are one of my favorite japanese uh bands as you know obviously oh yeah uh five yeah. six seven eights guitar wolf all that sort of stuff i love yeah. it all yeah for sure, for sure. Well, awesome. hey, it's great talking with you guys, man. No worries. Yeah. You have an awesome Thank day. Thank you. Okay, cool. And uh, maybe you can talk to some of our uh, Japanese bands one of these days. I would love to, for sure. All Absolutely, right. man. Okay. You take Thank care. you. Thank you, Robbie. Thanks. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're a Ramon?